Radio, the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name's Farhan, also known as Gunner since 96. And joining me here this afternoon, as always, is Mr. Adam Keyes. Adam, how are you doing this afternoon? Yeah, I'm 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 good at overall. It's it's a very weird weekend. I think we knew we weren't gonna win the title. But I, I genuinely feel really down with the collapse, the way that we played with the, all the energy, the emotions we put into it. It just feels like a really, just a really bad way to end the season. And just like the life's been sucked out of us after so many highs throughout the season. I, my thing was always, let's get to 90 points. Let's try and push City all the way and make them win it. Instead, we've literally crumbled in two games and... Mm give them the title before they even had to play, which, yeah. So how are you feeling? Well, I, I think we should uh, mention, just to, to put everything into context, we're recording um, Sunday afternoon, so the day after the nightmare <laughs> that we all had to witness. And also, um, 15 minutes after City have beaten Chelsea. So I think they're going to be doing the trophy presentation very, very soon. Um, they're probably doing it right now as we speak. So let me just quickly put on my Sky Sports and check. But the last I saw, they were clearing the pitch um, of all the fans and stuff, which I found quite hilarious because um, the, the silver lining that I found with Arsenal losing to Nottingham Forest was that it, it kind of, it was a bit, it was, it was the worst way to celebrate winning a league title. Like, you know, all teams and all fans want to witness their team do it in the most dramatic fashion. It, it makes that title win that much more sweeter, you know. Um, but I just felt like, you know, us handing it to them was just like, you know, here, have it on a silver platter. We we robbed them, I guess, of the occasion. Um, and so, yeah, just seeing the fans invade the, the, the pitch was like another, <laughs> um, yeah, another moment where the fans, the players didn't really get to, celebrate the way maybe they wanted to um but then again you know fifth fifth title in, in in six years it's probably getting a little bit mundane and, and repetitive and it did seem like on some of their faces like um sky sports were doing a post-match interview with carl walker and um it just almost felt like a just a, a normal occasion for him you know there's the, the tone of voice and you know just the overall kind of impression that i got from him was that yeah well you know um, Premier League title's done. The big one is the Champions League. That's the one that they're all kind of looking forward to. But um, yeah, so I just wanted to mention that, you know, we, we are recording um, a, a day after everything, you know, we witnessed and the disappointment. So um, we've allowed all the feelings and everything to simmer for a good 24 hours now. Usually we record straight after the game. Um, to keep everything as raw as possible. I know you were at a wedding yesterday and I just couldn't find um, anyone else to, 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 to record the pod with. And actually, um, I'm quite glad that we waited because, um, yeah, it gives us an opportunity to really take a step back and have a look at a, a bigger picture, um, maybe you want to call it that, of what what's happened throughout the course of the season, moments in which the collapses happened, trying to make sense of them as well. Um, so to, 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 um, you know, to give you a really short and simple answer, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm in good health ish. Um, I've been going to the gym for the last week and a half. So I do feel really like out of it. I feel like I'm just killing myself, but I have to, 
um, I've put a lot of weight back on. So this is completely, you know, separate to, 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 to football. But a couple of months ago, I lost like a really good chunk of weight. And then to celebrate, I had a day where I went out January the 1st. Um, me and my wife were celebrating um, not just the fact that we were kind of heavily dieting, but um, it was our anniversary as well. So we went out and had a really nice kind of evening and stuff. And then the collapse just started from there. And, you know, the weight just kept on piling back on. And now I just looking at myself, I'm just like, okay, fine. Something has to change. So yeah, been going back to the gym for a week and a half. I feel completely out of it, but I know it has to be done. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of my footballing heart, soul, and everything that I'm feeling pretty dejected. I'm, I'm ready for um, the season to end. I'm ready for the summer, basically. Um, but how, how was the wedding? You, you had a wedding to go to um, yesterday. And I'm hoping that that was more of a joyous occasion than the football. Yeah, I mean, I still got the football to bring me down a peg or yeah. two. So I managed to watch the match. So not the first time I've done that at a wedding where I've uh, had the game on. And uh, I think this is the, so I've basically had like 10 weddings over the last 18 months. And uh, at three of them, Arsenal have been playing and I've watched the game at all of them. So uh, how, how did you manage to get away with that? <laughs> Especially being the best man as well. So yeah, uh, very tactical. So, uh, but yeah, one of them, I wasn't discreet at all. I literally had the game on my phone up on the table the whole way through the meal. And um all the lads were just watching the match. So, but but no, yesterday the wedding went really well. Uh, speeches went well. So yeah, just a good day all round. And um, yeah, football kind of brought me crashing down to earth as well. And then I'm obviously writing down bits for the pod and stuff as I'm doing it. So yeah, it was a, a weird thing watching the game at a wedding. But, but yeah, we have won the other two games when I've been at Wadden. So I was hoping it was going to be another good yeah. luck charm, but it, it wasn't. Luck so, run out, as it always seems absolutely. to do with Arsenal. Um, okay, well, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to make this uh, a, a conventional podcast format in the sense that you know we talk through the starting eleven, we talk through the game, the ninety minutes. I think today is probably a good opportunity for us to just. Um, use this opportunity to give ourselves therapy i think rather than uh, you know providing this service free by the way um free of charge to the listeners i think i think we need to make sense of what's happened here because yeah um, the last 24 hours for me has been really difficult as an arsenal fan um and i've been finding it tough to you know hide um the, the, the disappointment or at least paper over the the, the obvious cracks um and a number of them as well it's not just the fact that we've lost the premier league title to city but it's the manner in which that we've done it most of us if not a lot of us as 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 fans were mentally preparing ourselves to witness a first league title in 19 20 years 19 years right it's it is 19 years 19 years yeah, yeah 19, 19 years, years. Um, and the way the capit- the way that we capitulated, um, I think if you wanted to, to to witness the capitulation of Arsenal's season in ninety minutes, yesterday would have been a prime example or a really good um, kind of illustration of that. So, first and foremost, 
how are you feeling right now as an Arsenal fan, knowing that it's all over? Um, before you answer, the reason why I'm asking is because I thought that having lost it and having the, the having having arrived at the uh, the moment in time where it was official, we had lost it. City were champions. I thought that would have been a weight off my shoulder, and it would have been. Um, a sigh of relief almost because up until that point it was a what if what if what if and being an incredible optimist as I am I always think of um you know the best possible outcome rather than worst so how are you feeling now knowing that it's all over knowing that you know that you can let the dust settle um it's not great I'll be honest I think if- as I said, the, the whole 90 points thing that's get there, that's make City win it. Yeah, I could accept going out with a real fight. And I know we've had injuries. I know there's been potential burnout, whatever. But I just find it, find it very, very difficult to watch the last two performances. And they've been just everything that we haven't seen from Arsenal this season. And that's been the big frustrating point for me. It's it doesn't look like the team we've fallen in love with this season. It doesn't look like the team that were just so imaginative, so full of life, so full of everything. And it's just all fallen apart so fast. Uh, so, yeah, I, I didn't... I think I expected us to push City a bit more. I didn't expect it to just fall apart like this. And I think that's why I just don't feel good about this. It's, it's more the way we've lost it. Again, had we have gone out and won the rest of our games, but to just fall apart at the final hurdle in such a catastrophic way, that's it's been unacceptable if we're honest. It's I get the inexperienced side, I get the injuries, but I think when you look at some of the teams that we've dropped points against, we're much better sides than them and the mistakes that have been made and so on, it's just very difficult to watch and take. But at the same time, it's also reminding myself of what a great season we had and so on. So, yeah, it, it's really mixed emotions right now. And But I'll be honest, I don't feel good either. Mm, it's really difficult to take um, and it's really difficult to have that glass half full rather than half empty. Um, because the, the, the fact of the matter is we have had, for the most part, a really... Um, good season. We have had a really positive season, a season full of good moments, more of them rather than the bad moments. So I want to, I want to try and figure out and understand why we feel like this then. If we are making great strides going forward, back into the Champions League, playing with a group of incredibly gifted individuals, a summer which, which promises to be um, one that was similar to last season, if not better, with more superstar signings, more depth, a project that seems to be going in the right direction, yet we find ourselves in this really precarious position of being really dissatisfied and unable to acknowledge all the good that's come out from this season. So I want to try and unravel that, uh, unravel that feeling that sense of disappointment and I think a lot of that comes to and it draws to the comparison to Manchester City a club that we so desperately want to be like and I'm going to say explicitly 
because I think it's really difficult for us to say it openly. Having, you know, witnessed so much success at Arsenal and, you know, older listeners will, you know, will will know and f- know what that's that like, the feeling of um, witnessing and, and experiencing a number of championships, a number of different managers, squads, key individuals, moments in time. Um, it's difficult for us to admit that we want to be what Manchester City are because the route that they've taken to become who they are is a, is, is a very questionable one, is one that lacks, um, uh, what's the word, integrity? Um, and so the bitter, swill, uh, the bitter pill to swallow is that they have become a really serious contender as a footballing organization. They've done it in a way that doesn't befit football heritage. It doesn't befit the unwritten rules of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable in the world of football business. But they're here. And I guess they've proven to the haters from 2008 that it is possible to buy success but also for it to um for 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 it to be envied if that makes sense i shouldn't feel as upset and as hurt watching city you know be crowned champions and watching them demolish teams the way they do because Let's have it right. They're not a PSG. They're not a Real Madrid. They are spending ridiculous amounts of money in all different places. But it's not being exploited like the way it's being done at Chelsea or, as I mentioned, at PSG. So there is an element of purity at City. And maybe that comes down to the following things which are the mentality, the vision, the mission, and also this um, relentless need, the obsession to win. It's not, you know, it's not the fact that they're paying 800 grand or up to 800 grand for Erling Haaland. It's not the fact that they're pumping in hundreds of millions every year to get a squad, to get two, two, you know, fully efficient squads. It's drilling the mentality, the mindset, the correct way, the city way. You know, I think I, I, I think we're at a point now where we can comfortably say that there is an ideology at City and it isn't just it's not just being pumped with um, finances. It is down, right down to the the kit man. It's 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 making sure that everyone is him is is singing from the same hymn sheet, and they have this shared ambition to rule the world. Yeah, and I think it's that it it, it is the relentlessness of it as well, and. Every time, every season comes to an end, you think this city team looked incredible and they find a way to add another piece to that. 
and they're so ruthless as well. So Arteta's talked about that with Pep. That's one of the things he's learned most often is the ruthlessness of him, just how he continues to evolve and adapt and discard things that he thinks he's moved past or the team has moved past. And I, I think Pep's... It's not just the money that he spent. It's, it's the... There's a real togetherness with the squad. There's a, just a a unified ambition within it and that, as you said, desire to take over the world kind of thing. But it's, I think it's all brought together by Pep. And yeah, they spend a fortune, but I do not believe that Man City without Pep would be the same force that they are. Mm. You've got the best coach in the world yeah. with the one of the best squads in the world and a huge budget. But let's face it, they're not the richest club in the world. They have spent a huge sum of money. They obviously have the 115 charges against them. So that is something we do have to take into consideration. However, an, another thing worth mentioning here is when you think about City's squad, they started Calvin Phillips today for the first time this season in the league. Mm-hmm. Calvin Phillips cost about $45 million in the summer, and this was his first start. So when you've got that luxury that your backup six can come on for his first start 36 games into the season after costing £45 million, that's a luxury that very few sides have. And yes, they've built it over time. They have, But at the same time, Pep went out and bought, what, four fullbacks in his second season for like £200 million. So he was in, he was back very, very heavily early on and was allowed to just basically handpick his team. He also inherited a team that had won the, the title what a year before he took over mm. with players like David Silva, who had won the title, um, Aguero, Company, Yaya Torre. And although Company and Torre were at the end of their careers and done by the time Pep came, they were also those characters in the dressing room that had been there and played a critical part in the those title wins. And... Um, so when you've got those players in the dressing room that have been there and done it, that whenever he started building his next team, not only had he done it, he already had players that had the experience of winning it with City. And I think that's one of the things people talk about Jesus and Zinchenko have won it before, but neither of them were kind of the, I guess, the the key players for City when they won it. And they're also trying to bring that kind of mentality to another club. And that's a different thing to being at a club that's done it. And because it's not just the the players that have the, the expectation. Those City fans fully expect it. They had a pitch invasion today. Half the fans are sitting on their phones in the ground, mm. not really caring that much because they're just so used to winning right now. And it's almost like a Real Madrid-type expectation that's being created at City where the just the de- demand and the desire to win is just relentless. And that's led to very refined clinical performances that other clubs just don't have and i think the goal is for us to obviously reach that level it's just how do we reach it uh, do, do you think this is where that sense of dissatisfaction comes from the fact that they are so obsessed for you know winning game after game year after year but not only just winning football matches is winning football matches in however way that they can 
um, because I don't know if you watched the, the 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 link that I put on the group chat today. It was like a three minute compilation of Sky Sports, um, basically it, almost in the in 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 the style of the All or Nothing documentary. Just little clips from the changing room throughout the course of the season, and there was a bit in the middle where there were issues, there were problems. They had. Um, you know, some conflicts with Cancelo, um, you know, hence why he was he was shipped out to Bayern and things weren't clicking. But then they found a way. They 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 looked within themselves and they somehow built this iron kind of curtain, if you want to call it that, um, of not looking anywhere else other than themselves and just being really critical. Is this the difference between Arsenal and City? We're not obsessed to win. And 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 we're, I guess, uh, the, the last few performances show that, but also this kind of, this attitude of, well, it's okay because we've had a good season. Like, I found it really strange players were doing interviews during the week when the se- when the season hasn't even finished yet um making certain comments like it's been a good season we have a lot to be proud of ourselves uh etc cetera, etc cetera. um is it is it because of this type of lackadaisical attitude that has led us to our downfall which is you know not taking every game as it comes not having the obsession to win allowing ourselves to i guess be our own barriers in most cases uh that's a tough question because i think arteta's got that desire to win every game i don't think he's got a let's take it easy i think there's no lackadaisical approach with him and i think anyone that has taken their foot off the gas at this stage could very easily be out in the summer and it's I almost feel like he's is it is it a we, squad we do, thing? Yeah, I think overall it's a squad thing. I think it's important to remember as well. So we we should have had enough to beat Forest yesterday, hmm. but at the same time, it is important to remember we had Zinchenko out. We've got Saliba out. We've Martinelli's out. Tommy Asu's out, and all these players are hugely important for the squad and. For a long time, Ben White was only playing 70 minutes. Since Tommy Asu's injury, he's been 90 every week. So Arteta had the ability to change things around and basically keep players fresh for certain periods. And White was one of those. And it meant that Tommy Asu was able to come in. Like this season, Tommy Asu's played 21 games in the league. He's been out now for the best part of two months. And um, that shows how many substitute appearances he's had that where he's been able to come on and basically allow see out the game for Arsenal and kind of sure up that back four whenever White was starting to tire. Um, so he's been a player that's been playing a lot more minutes. Um, Gabriel's just a machine and he's been nonstop. Kivior's been very quickly thrown in and has played now out of position twice. And so you, you come into a new league, you pl- first off play on the right side of centre half, and now you're playing left back. Um, Thomas Partey's form's been talked about at length. And 
again, he's coming in at right back yesterday. So there was a lot of rejigging. Uh, but I think the big concern is, pro- I do think it's a squad thing overall to answer your question. And it's a case of, I think Monty's hit the nail on the head last week whenever he said that with our first choice 11, the one that we could all name any day of the week, we are a team that can compete with City. It's if we lose Zinchenko, Saliba and a couple of other players, we go back to being a sixth, fifth, sixth, even eighth place team because those players are so key. And, and one of the hallmarks of an Arteta team is the, the everything is very well coached and refined. And I think we're still figuring out kind of how to win games when things aren't going well. And if you look at City this season, especially with Holland. There's been, Holland scored loads of goals where they have just put the ball in the box. They've gone long, they've played it over the top. They've done things that City haven't done before under Pep, where it's always been that really intricate build-up, pullbacks on the line, and players walking it into the net. Whereas with Holland, they've they've adapted, they've changed, so they've played slightly, and they've become a team that are literally a winning machine. And I think we're still figuring that out, I think. Part of it's a little bit of inexperience. However, that, that team that played yesterday, I was looking at the lineup again just before we started recording, and there's a lot of experience on that pitch. It's Saka's the youngest player, but a lot of the team that were out, um, like Partey, White, Gabriel, Shaka, Jorginho, Odegaard, Jesus, Trossard, they're all very, very experienced players now. And um, like, remember, Odegaard might only be, what, 24? But he's been playing for about eight years. Hmm. And this is two and a half years in at Arsenal. He's had a full season at Sociedad. He's had a couple of loans in the Netherlands. So he's played a lot of football. And similarly, Trossard's been in the league for a long time. I thought Shaka was really poor yesterday. And... It is, I think what we're seeing is the lack of ability to rotate has cost us. So, for example, if Gundahan has an off day, they can put Bernardo in that that place. They can even play Phil Foden there. And they've got multiple options that they can play in those positions. And, um, and City also have players like Bernardo and Foden who can play on the wing. They can play as an eight. They these players can play in multiple positions. Even Julian Alvarez this season has been used across multiple positions. Whereas the likes of Granite Xhaka, if we lose him, we don't have someone of real quality that can come in and take his place. And I think whenever he's tired or he's having an off day, it becomes very apparent that you're thinking, who could we bring on in his position? And people will keep shouting about Smith Rowe. Mm. But I, I've been thinking a lot about Smith Rowe. I, I absolutely love him as a player. I think he's, phenomenal on his day but I was thinking when was the last time he was really on his day and I know he scored against Chelsea last season but if we're being completely honest about Smith-Rowe it was about 18 months ago that he was last playing regularly scoring goals really contributing to the team and even at that he was coming off the bench a lot of the time then because Martinelli had started to force his way into the team Mm. and we're at times looking back with rose-tinted glasses because he was our second highest scorer last year. But 
We talk about him being a left eight. I have no idea if he can do the defensive side of the game because we haven't seen him there. Yeah. And yes, he might have the characteristics, but it's having those the profile to play in a position and actually playing there are two different things. And it, it does make me think when with him not coming off the bench yesterday again, it is this a sign that Arteta wants rid of him in the summer or but again that's a squad player that you're looking at that really should be able to contribute more. And the fact Arteta doesn't trust him when he's chasing a goal says a lot. So I think there is the squad thing, as you say, but there's also, I think Arteta does need to trust his players more. He should have rotated yeah. more. I, I've said repeatedly, Saka shouldn't have been playing 90 every game when we were, we, when we had games wrapped up, there was no reason the way he was taking Ben White off, he couldn't have been taking Saka off. Because Saka has played 94% of our available minutes in the Premier League, which is pretty insane if you think about it for a 21-year-old. Yeah, and just, you know, you make a very good point on the Smith-Rowe argument because um, I was going to ask, you know, is this a case, a very similar case of what's what's happened to Kieran Tini? Um, In the sense that you have uh, an individual here who, for a lot, uh, uh, for a long time, for a, for a long period of last year, and even the you know the season before, um, one of those individuals who you would look at and you would depend on to do something special, and and you know in a lot of the cases he did, but for some reason was just phased out. Um, and I think we've, we, unlike uh, Emil Smith Rowe, in the case of Kieran Tierney, is very much a case of not fitting the system but you know as you say questions have to be asked about the the way some of these individuals are being managed smith rowe someone who came through the ranks with bukayo saka and i guess unfortunately due to injury was given a setback um but maybe this is this is what we need at arsenal maybe this is that these are the levels because if we've witnessed in the last few games an attitude on the pitch which doesn't reflect what the manager wants. Maybe this type of ruthlessness is needed in order to get the message through to the players that no matter who you are, no matter how well you've done, if anything happens to you, i.e. an unfortunate case of an injury, um, your place is not guaranteed because someone else is going to come in, do the work that you weren't able to do or do the work better than you were doing and you know, it's then your responsibility to, 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 to prove us wrong. And if you're not able to do that, then tough luck. This is Arsenal Football Club. These are the bare minimums of what we require. I think for a long time, we have, and I've, I've heard this a lot um, from other, you know, football podca podcast hosts and influencers, um, this notion of being attached to individuals or, feeling sentimental to certain players. I think for a long time, we've had to resort to being sentimental to players because of losing touch with the football club and what we represent and what we want, what we ultimately should be aiming for, which is league titles, challenging for the league as well, and a, a regular appearance in the Champions League. Since um, you know, Fenger left, it was really a, a chaotic period for us to grasp onto anything that was, you know, uh, 
that 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 held on to Arsenal's memories. So if it is players like, you know, uh, Granite Xhaka, who's one of the last serving players who 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 was playing under Wenger, as well as you know Rob Holding and Elneny, I think there might be one or two more. Um, but you know we can see here that there is definitely something wrong with the mentality of the squad in key moments of the season of in key moments of games yesterday was another prime example that um we we are uh, you know we've made great strides going forward but it's 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 really easy for us to relapse and go all the way back to where we were if we don't nip this in the bud right now um now we do have a game to play before the end of the season what do you think is the number one priority for Mikel Arteta to nip this in the bud and for once and to once and for all get rid of this um you know this this poor attitude this poor mentality in games if if there is a way to get rid of it because the best teams in the world have moments have spells where something's going wrong where they're unable to recover um but for me I just feel like it's gone one step too far, you know? Yeah, I, I think going into the night, we absolutely need a win at the weekend. We have to win that game. We have we can't finish the season on three defeats. In terms of what to do, uh, it, it, that's the that's the million-dollar question right now. It, there isn't really an answer there. I, it, I would say it comes down to motivation and he really has to get into them now. He's protected them a lot this season. We as fans have been 100% behind them. And I think uh, I'm very proud of this team. Uh, it's been an incredible season. But I think we also have the right, just like we have built these this team up and carried it on our shoulders throughout the season and shouted and praised them, we equally have a right to criticise them. There's a lot of fans that travel all over the country, spend a lot of money to go and see the club, even people just giving up their free time and watching. And we've fans all over the world that get up at crazy hours to watch the team. So just like we've got the right to praise our team, we've got the right to criticise them. And I think the big thing this week is we're going to see our Arteta, well, we, we won't say it, but there will be a lot of very honest and tough conversations behind closed doors. Mm. And the one thing I would say there is it won't just come from Arteta, it will come from the staff. And if this team are really the, the team that we think they are, the, probably the toughest conversations will be very honest ones between the players themselves. So I know Jorginho looked visibly frustrated with his teammates on Saturday. Yeah. And uh, he he's someone that has won things. He... He's had bad seasons at Chelsea. He's had seasons where they've turned things around. And he knows what it takes to be a winner. And I I would say that those conversations are what needs to happen. The players need to take responsibility. Uh, Arteta can meticulously plan things. They can do things on the training ground. However, things don't go exactly to plan on a pitch. There's two teams playing. There's... one team trying to stop the other and so on the very basics of the game uh, it's what makes football so entertaining and those players need to take responsibility themselves and I actually believe they will 
And that's something that I haven't believed from Arsenal teams in the past, especially Wenger's late teams, the Emery team and the team Arteta inherited. I think a lot of those players would have kind of passed the buck to each other. And even I loved Obama Yang, but even when we went through an awful spell and he refused to do interviews after a game. Mm. And so I think we've got enough players in this squad that are, they're confident enough and responsible enough that they will go out and face the media after a game. The Despite reports that the players didn't clap the fans yesterday, apparently the players were actually went out and clapped the fans twice and were moved away by security. But the, the key will be the players taking responsibility themselves. If you ever read any of the books from kind of our double winners, the Invincibles and so on, or listen to the likes of Lee Dixon and Tony Adams talking, mm. even Ray Parler. A lot of the talk is actually about them arguing in the dressing rooms, them discussing things and working things out. And I said last week, this is elite level sport. Yeah. These players aren't mollycoddled. Yes, they're protected and they live in a bubble, but they will, they'll be told under no uncertain terms of, they've let themselves down over the last two weeks. And Arteta didn't hold back after Brighton. He had a bit more sympathy and love for them after Forrest. But but yeah, they have to also take responsibility for themselves. And I think they will. And I think that's why this team will go on and grow from here. How do, how do you feel on this? Do you, do you think, do you agree with, my assessment that they, they will take responsibility or do you mm. think this is something that Arteta is going to need to grab them and get them back up for it? It's interesting because when I was um, trying to figure out, you know, last night after witnessing such a poor performance, I found myself asking my, myself, where did this start? How have we found ourselves in this position? Um, you know, at, the, at that moment where I realized it was done. City have become champions. That was a really, really difficult moment for me because for one, I was so sure, um, you know, in March that we were going to be crown champions, that the way we yeah. were playing, the way that the manner in which we were able to um, suffocate teams, to grind out results in tough periods of the game, the togetherness the spirit, the belief, the passion, the desire, everything, everything was going right. And I just couldn't foresee a situation where we were going to shoot ourselves in the foot until um, the Europa League came around. That performance against Sporting Lisbon, was it? It was Sporting Lisbon, wasn't it? Yeah, Sporting Lisbon, Europa. So Sporting Lisbon knocked out Arsenal in the Europa League and I was outraged. Outraged. <laughs> I mean, you can all listen back to the podcast that I recorded by myself because I couldn't wait, um, you know, to calm myself down. I was, you know, I lost it. I lost it because, not because we were out of the Europa League, but the manner in which that we lost it in. And that was yeah, the first it, it sign. Yeah, walking pace. Yeah, and that, that was the first sign for me that, hold on a minute, we have done so well up until this point, but we're willing to throw it all away because of an arrogant attitude that because we are so good, because we are playing so well, nothing can beat us. We're unbeatable, you know. 
That's the that's the kind of attitude that I, I I witnessed against Sporting Lisbon, and I got a lot of stick for it because I was so upset that not because we were out of the Europa League, not because you know we were beaten by an opposition who we should be beating, but just that arrogance, the way that we carried ourselves, you know, the I guess because we 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 thought that we're good enough to win, we should be able to beat them, not without having played our best um that was that was a sign where you know things could go horribly wrong here and that theme kind of continued um we noticed it against liverpool we noticed it against west ham southampton was a game where we were so low in confidence we were un- we were unable to um you know grind out a, a you know a, a win from that and you know a, a lot of people are questioning well how did we end up you know, dropping points um, to Liverpool, having played so well. How did we start so well against West Ham and then, you know, lose it and with Southampton? Um, I, I, I think that's that Sporting Lisbon game poses a really strong case for why we lost those points because we are unable to... And this, it, it all comes down to experience. I mean, right now I'm talking from a, from a very... Um, emotional place you know i am pissed off rightfully so i am upset not because we have handed the title to see but in the manner in which we did it we should have taken them all the way we should have you know left blood sweat and tears on the pitch but i felt i felt like that they were too they're 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 too easily um you know, satisfied with second place. And Ramsdale's comments um, in the midweek just summed it up. A lot of people are going to say, you know, we've, we've bottled it, this, that and the other, but, you know, we've we've made some really great achievements um, by finishing second. Uh, comments like that scare me because it shows me that, and, you know, this isn't me having a dig at Ramsdale in particular, but, when we hear comments like that, it builds an image of, well, we've come this far, you know, let's call it a day. Let's go again next season. Um, and I don't, I don't like when individuals place themselves in that bubble, in the bubble of, um, what's the word? When someone is comfortable, there's another word for comfortable that I'm thinking of. Complacency, you know, uh, maybe. Um, but yeah, Sporting Lisbon was the first sign that this is a squad who, when they're when they're met with tough moments, do they really have it in themselves to not just grind out three two results, last minute goals, but you know yesterday is a prime example. You're playing against Nottingham Forest, who are fighting for survival. What have you got in you to take that moment away from them? Are you ruthless? Are you cutthroat? Because we know City are, we know City are capable of doing some real damage in those moments. And there's 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 not a single part of me that would think City would lose in that environment, in that kind of setting. Um, and it's crazy to say that even before the first whistle went, I knew in my heart of heart that we were probably going to lose that game because there was nothing to play for. Forrest had everything to play for. And the attitude was just not right. The you know it it didn't seem like they wanted to play for anything. Um, 
and that for that I, I think it, it, it's it's that that rubs me up the wrong way knowing that my players aren't willing to play even if it's for nothing you know there has to be a little bit more than just pride you need to there has to be and this maybe comes down to the non-negotiables that are yeah. preached so many seasons ago the non-negotiables is turning up at a football pitch leaving your everything out there for 90 minutes and we've seen far too many performances where that hasn't happened you know yeah so but yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right the, the non-negotiables it, it is something we've seen really come into action this year we, we saw parts of last season I, I do wonder if there's a just a complete drop off in burnout not just physically but mentally as well yeah and I, I I hate to even think Ari Neville could be right but so I'm going to use Thierry Henry saying it the the emotion that Thierry did say that that emotion could work against us and um, that because of how much it drains you and if you look at our performances kind of I guess just before the City game they were very emotionless. We didn't have that same spark. We didn't have even like West Ham and Southampton. There was, we came back against Southampton, but none the way we came back against like Bournemouth and Villa. Yeah. The, the, I, I, so I do wonder if there was just an emotional drain. And because if you look at the numbers yesterday, we controlled that game completely. And in mm. my head, I was thinking this is very like Everton. Whenever we hit so much of the ball, we played so many passes. So, I, I was looking at the stats for the two games and we actually had 12% more possession yesterday than we did in that Everton game. We played uh, over 700 passes yesterday. Mm. 724 passes we played yesterday. Forrest played 161. and But the issue was we had three shots on target. And if you think of... The, if you think back of the shots that we had, none of them worked the keeper. And that was the real worrying point for me. So I think there it's a strange game because teams are ultimately judged on outcomes. And if you control the ball for control 82% of the game, you haven't played badly. And that's the hard thing to really, I guess, dissect whenever you've held the ball for so much of the game. But it it just felt when we got it into the final third, we couldn't hold on to it. But like Jorginho yesterday, I, I've seen people criticize his performance on social media. However, Jorginho had 129 touches of the ball and um, he had played something like 120 passes. He had a 91% passing accuracy. And if you look at those stats, that shows he was rarely taking more than one touch of the ball. He was moving it quickly. He was getting it going. He was really shouting and leading. And if Arsenal won that game 1-0 and Jorginho had that many touches and did exactly the same as he did in that game, people would be saying Jorginho was unbelievable. Mm. And instead, we it was one of those sloppy passes from Odegaard. But th these sloppy passes, the thing that gets me is, yes, it's a loose pass, but it's in the forest half. Forrest shouldn't be cutting us open with one ball. And you lose the ball in the opposition's half. You should not be conceding straight away. That was what we saw under Wenger in the latter years. And it was 
It was something we saw under Emery. We haven't seen that under Arteta until recently, where one sloppy ball and suddenly the team were in. We it was the same. Was it Southampton's second goal? It was the same in Odegaard's pass that went astray, and uh, again they cut us open and Walcott scored. So that is a big worry for me in that the way we were cut open and then after that goal, that goal was completely against the run of play and we held so much of the ball. So it it is really hard to kind of say that the players had completely checked out because we, we did hold so much of the ball. We did dominate a lot of the game in terms of possession territory, but we just, we didn't create. And I do wonder if that comes back to when Henri talked about the emotional exhaustion that's a huge part of where the creativity comes in. The running, just like keeping recycling play, keeping the ball ticking over, and organization. I guess you can get through that side of the game, but if you're exhausted, those kind of passes that unlock a defense, those like bits of magic that go in. If you combine that emotional exhaustion with just a complete drop in confidence there is probably a collision there that's led to things looking much worse than they are. And again, these players have never been in that position before. So yeah. I, I think you're right about Ramsdale because when I saw that interview, I was like, why, why are you doing this now? This mm. doesn't, the season's not over. And I get you've just signed, you're about to sign a new contract because I don't think the contract announcement had been made at that point. But I find it to be a really weird interview at this time of the season. And I know Ramsdale does a lot of interviews. Yeah. And I, I do, maybe we should get him on here. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, he uh, sometimes I think there's a reason why players don't always talk to the media. So the, had Ramsdale not have said that, we wouldn't be talking about this now because it's – it's come out midweek and then we've lost at the weekend. So it it's difficult to say they fully checked out, but I, I think the spark's not there and mm. there is a combination of factors and injuries haven't helped. But but yeah, I do think it, between those things and then as we discussed last week, the, the drop-off in quality whenever we don't have three or four key players. But I also believe if City lost a De Bruyne or a Haaland, or most importantly, I, I think Rodri's there, kind of the glue that holds their team together. If they lost Rodri, that would be a huge detriment to City, and I don't think they would be as controlling as they were. Mm. Well, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because we've seen City play in a variety of different systems over the years with a variety of different players. But one thing that they managed to always maintain is that, is the level of control, is the discipline, is the composure. I think that's the word really, isn't it? That's missing from this squad. Composure. Because despite being as composed as we were yesterday in possession, um, we still lost the game. You know, we lost the game from a moment of madness, from a a freak of a pass um, and, you know, totally punished us. Now, I I was quite interested to hear from fans last night um, as to why they thought we lost the game. And there was a number of different... um, you know, things that people had to say, the lineup was a great, um, the fact that we didn't have enough rotation, the fact that there were certain players on the bench that we brought into the summer who weren't starting. 
aging midfield, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think, if you had to put it down to one reason, one factor for why we lost yesterday, what would you put it down to? I think creativity. So, uh, as I said, we, we held so much of the ball, but we had three shots. And even at that, I, when you were watching the game, did you think at any point we were going to play someone in, we were going to break that, that those two banks of four? Or was it one of those games for you that you were looking at it thinking, I don't see where a goal is going to come from? Yeah, no, definitely not. And even even with um, Jesus up front, even with the amount of touches that he was having, um, they did an incredible job of marking him out of the game. It was really, really frustrating to watch him try to pull out as much as he could and come out, come out with nothing. Um, so yeah, no, I, I couldn't see anything because as you mentioned, on the edge of the box, it was very much a case of passing it from side to side rather than find pockets of tight spaces to put the ball into. You know, we've seen it time and time again in the early phases of the season where the balls are being played in between centre-backs or in between a full-back and a centre-back to put somebody into that space. It's not a case of, you know, static possession. And, you know, you mentioned we had a lot of control. We had a lot of the possession, but I think a lot of it was dead possession. A lot of it was meaningless. A lot of it was was. just build up for the sake of building up. It didn't really lead to anything. Yeah. And one of the things with Jesus, he... His touch was like a trampoline yesterday. Every time that we got the ball up, and it, it was, it continued when Encadia came on. Hmm. The whenever a Forest defender got close to either of them, they just lost the ball. Jesus lost possession twenty-two times yesterday, wow. so he had 49 touches and played eighteen of twenty-three passes accurately, and. If you're losing possession 22 times as a number nine, that's a huge amount. Trossard as well lost possession 15 times. And of the three, I thought Saka was the best. And Saka is one of those players where the number of minutes he's played has been insane. And I don't think I don't think the drop-off's what people are making it out to be. I think it's it's a What's dropped off is the final actions in his game. But if you look at how he protected the ball, how he worked the line yesterday, how he linked with teammates, his availability to receive, his desire to run up players, it was all still there. And he was doing a lot of good work. The I think with Saka, there's clearly a bit of tiredness there. There's... I, as I said, the, the number of minutes he's played is insane. And I think that's where we're we're starting to see it in those final actions. And again, it's that creative spark. The, those, like, remember United at the Emirates mm. when every time he got the ball, Luke Shaw looked terrified. And then when he scored that goal from outside the box, it, it was just unbelievable. It was... you thought Saka could do anything that day and that form continued and then it's just been a sort of steady decline on the his his output stats since the international break but with Jesus and Trossard I, I, I think possibly Jesus could be having the after effects of his injury so he's come back was eased into the team then he had a really good spell. Then he had a couple of games where he wasn't great. Then he had a couple of really good games in Chelsea and Newcastle. And then the last two games, he's been quite poor again. So 
this is something where he's getting used to playing football again. So I think he's someone that we do have to give a bit of kind of grace to in terms of it was a long injury and knee injuries are horrible to come back from. I've dislocated my knees five times and I've what? done my medial injury, my, my, my medial ligaments. I've had the same injury as Jesus. Bloody hell. So, so yeah, I know all about coming back <laughs> Wait, from how, the injuries. How did you fracture it five oh, times in the, five, oh, in the same places? Dislocated. Fuck. So yeah, not fractured, uh, dislocation. So all from football, and it's on both legs as well. So, so yeah. Uh, have you it, retired uh, yet, or are you still going? Yeah, yeah. I had to stop playing <laughs> at twenty two because oh, I was shit, told really? that. So yeah, but oh, so I I know what it's like to come back from an injury like that, and that's only at like like local level. It's not hmm. Premier League level, but there is. If you look at whenever I had my injuries, I was reading a lot about recoveries and so on and I, it made me very interested in that side of the game and uh, if you look at any player that's been out for a long time their return tends to be very up and down so they'll have really good performances followed by a poor performance and I think we'll see the real Jesus back in August and full preseason behind him but it, it's just at this time I think a mix of everything is coming into play. But uh, honestly, I think yesterday comes back to creativity. As you said, there was a lot of dead possession. There was a lot of sideways passing. Um, In the first half, there was a complete overload on the right-hand side. We just tried to work that side time and time again. And the left, there was so much space out left. And every time we got the ball, we turned back and went right. Yeah, that's something we noticed. Uh, a lot, of, a lot right. of people made comments on that, actually. And I wanted to ask you, why do you think that was? Why were we con- consistently testing the right-hand side rather than the left-hand side? Because we did have effective players on the on the left-hand side. Yeah, I'm not sure because, I, again, I was looking at it. And at one point, uh, I, I just didn't notice Granite Shaka on the pitch because he mm. just wasn't in the game at all. Even Kivior had very, very little to do. And he came in the second half, he was starting to get more touches on the ball, but he, he wasn't overly effective. But a big part of that was because we they weren't really attacking that side and neither were we. So I, I have no idea. It was really confusing to watch. And it didn't feel like... I, I don't know Forrest well enough as a team. I've only watched them a couple of times this season. But it's Ren and Lodi plays out there, isn't it? On the left uh, side. Yeah, Lodi and, and Gibbs White as well. Yeah, so, I mean, Gibbs White's the best player. And I thought he was fantastic yesterday, by the way. And yeah. But in terms of getting success out that side, I didn't feel like there was an obvious weakness to exploit, certainly from the way we were playing anyway. And it made the pitch very congested. And it took Trossard out of the game. And I think Shaka only had something like 26 passes yesterday, which for Granite Shaka is about half what he normally has. And then I, when we did start to play that a bit wider and stretch the pitch a bit more, it just felt very passive. And there just there was no spark. I think that's what I, I came away with. It was like yeah. no imagination no joy watching it. It was like watching a really stale game of football. But I guess as well, Forrest had 
the fight, the home fans sounded very good from what I could hear. And those players were really fighting to stay in the Premier League. But was there anything from your end that, I guess, suggested that there was a weakness on that side for Forrest or a reason that we weren't working the left? The only reason that I could think of is that Morgan Gibbs-White was the most dangerous man on the pitch for them. And so we wanted to try and avoid giving him any opportunities as possible, um, which is strange because, you know, you wouldn't be building up play with that in the back of your mind. It's almost counterintuitive to think if we lose the ball in this position, someone from their side or the best man on their team could punish us. Um, and if that was what they were thinking, then it's a really dangerous way to play a game of football when you should be trying to play your game, trying to play the different routes that we often... And, and actually, you know, the left-hand side is, is I think, if, if you know, someone uh, wants to do uh, some work on the statistics of how many uh, times we've entered the opposition half via the left-hand side compared to the right-hand side, I think the left-hand side would easily win. Um, you know, when, when, when you think about the routes that we take to go down that channel with Shaka, uh, Partey, Martinelli and Jesus interchanging with each other. Bakaya Saka is often the man who is, you know, fed by the Odegaard passes, you know, the, the kind of eye of the needle passes in between players. Yeah. Whereas the way that we usually develop our attacking um, style of build-up, it's very much on the left-hand side. Uh, that's the kind of impression that I've gotten from this season anyway, whereas on the right-hand side, there's a lot of overlapping runs between Ben White um, and Saka. And again, that partnership with Odegaard, um, it's a lot more aggressive on the right-hand side. Um, but it was really strange to see us taking this kind of steady approach um, yesterday, especially when, when I noticed that Forrest were happy to sit back and soak it up. I thought that at, at, at one moment, especially in the second half, we were going to pull the trigger and we were just going to, you know, be a little bit more aggressive with the way that we were moving that ball rather than playing it from side to side, try and play a little bit f in between the lines. Um, it, I mean, it picked up. It did pick up in, in the latter stages of the second half. But the moment the changes were made, it, I guess, you know, that flow and that rhythm was sucked out of us. Um, and that leads me to the manager. And I think we should have a discussion about Arteta yesterday, um, in particular, the starting lineup and the structure that he wanted to play in. We knew we were going to be without a right, not right back. We knew we were going to be without, actually, we weren't going to be without anyone because Tierney could have played on the left and he didn't. Ben White could have played on the right and he didn't. Um, but we knew we were going to be without William Saliba, um, Martinelli as well, Tommy Asu as well. So did you feel like it was going to be a little bit more of a traditional setup rather than the one that we saw yesterday? Because that was quite extreme to what we're used to seeing with Arteta's starting lineup. Yeah, it was, I would say it was a bold choice. I, I really didn't like Thomas Partey at right back. And Again, I, I was struggling to work out in the first half what we were trying to do. He was inverting a lot. 
which was good. But it, it, it also, maybe that was actually why we were so overloaded down the right was because of he was inverting on that side and dropping into midfield, which gives us more numbers down that hand. But, but yeah, the key VR at left back as well, again, it felt like it wasn't just a personnel switch and playing players out of position. It was a, a kind of flip on the system with inverting at right back instead of left back and so on. So, I mean, I wasn't completely against the lineup. I, I personally, if he didn't want to play Tierney there, I would have just played Granite Shaka there. But, but yeah, I, I have seen people call for that system on social media and it, it is funny people are very good at calling for something when it doesn't work it's Arteta's fault not theirs mm. so it's like how, how did Arteta think that would work and it's like well you've been going on about it for months so yeah I I felt it's one of those as we've said before on this show the lineup tends to be something we only talk about when we lose yeah. so it's one of those when you win the lineup's right when you lose a game, it's like, why did we line up like that? And actually, when you look at the amount of possession we had, the I think did Forest only have two shots on target? So um, it, it, it was something had, like, yeah, they did. Yeah, two shots on target. So yeah. yeah, two shots on target. So so actually, we had enough quality on that pitch to beat them, and that's why I think it comes down to creativity rather than. It, it was literally our play in the final third. We just weren't able to do anything. So, but what, what do you think comes down to the lack of creativity? I, I do wonder if that's the emotional exhaustion because I, that's confidence and somewhat exhaustion that we've just run out of steam. We've literally just, things have just got away from us this season and, I guess sometimes you need to come in and regroup. And, but yeah, it was just such a frustrating performance to watch. And there was at no point, I think it was about 70 minutes in, and I, I was thinking we could play for another hour here, and I don't think yeah. we even have a shot. Mm. And again, it's it's not very often that I think that with Arsenal. At halftime, I was thinking, well, come on, we'll win this 2-1. And then as the game went on, it was just more sideways passing. And I think this would have actually been a good game for Reese Nelson as well. We saw even last week against Brighton when he came on, he fizzed a good shot in and it went narrowly wide. But a player that's just willing to have a go and put a shot in that might bounce off a defender, it might be pushed back out by the keeper, but there was none of that. And possibly the injury to Martinelli as well give us very little options to change on the bench. Mm. And Fabio Vieira was very poor when he came on again. And so, yeah, I think as well, again, we've all talked about it this year where when things are going really well, we don't notice the lack of depth. But with the likes of Shaka, if he's having a poor game, there isn't an obvious answer to change it with on the bench. And that's, for me, the next step. We, we really need more, a more running power in midfield for games where we can get stretched, but similarly, a creative player, because we, we have such a reliance on Odegaard. And 
people have said about him dropping off. He got five goals in five games before the Brighton game. And he has been carrying us since the international break. Mm. Uh, He's been our best player by a long, long way. But the thing with Arsenal is so much has gone through him, so much is on his head to create, to also score goals, to lead the team, to lead the press. And there isn't, if he's unable to unlock something, then there isn't another player that we're looking at and you think they'll take a load off him. And that's hard. And again, someone like Martinelli being out, Martinelli can stretch teams with his pace. So even if, Forrest came at us. You've got that out ball of Martinelli who can will beat most people in a foot race. We, we didn't have that. So, so yeah, what do you think it's down to? What do I think it's down to the defeat? No, no, the the creativity, obviously. I, okay, the creativity. Gonna... What do I think the lack of creativity is down to? Well, I think there are a number of different factors here. I think, um, number one, I want to point out the... I know I keep mentioning this, but I want to point out the Europa League game because I think yeah. I, think, I think if if we want to if we want to really dissect and go really deep on this, and you know I think a lot of people will find it irritating that I'm doing this, but football is so heavily based on psychology, so heavily based on confidence and mentality that we have to we have to look at all of these things. Um, so I think the fact that we 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 thought we were going to beat Sporting Lisbon with such ease and we didn't. And that has then had a knock-on impact on our ability to compose ourselves in these games. I think composure has a very big part to play. Um, I think also the lack of belief. I think when I was watching the game uh, yesterday, I saw there are a number of players pointing at each other, getting really vocal, getting really visibly frustrated. Um, And those players also happen to be leaders. So you mentioned Jorginho. I also saw um, Odegaard doing the same thing. I saw Gabriel. I saw Ramsdale visibly really frustrated and Trossard and Ben White. Um, And, you know, there were others who were, you know, muttering things under their breath, um, but heavily low on confidence, heavily. Um, Not being able to muster up the courage to take initiative. Um, And that, again, goes down to what we need to do in the summer and our next phase in the evolution, which is bringing in players who will do the dirty work, who will, in moments where we need somebody to step up, can step up. And so that's why I guess it's a little bit unfortunate that Granit Xhaka leaves us because he's one of those players who does do his part. Yesterday wasn't a great example of it, but we've seen him time and time again really galvanise those around him when need be. You know, he has that yeah. nasty streak in him. And I think he's one of the very few individuals who has that nasty streak in him. You, you've got two types of nastiness. You've got the Shaka who goes head in first, does something irresponsible, but it has an impact on players around him. And then you've got the other nasty side of the game, which is the dark art. So, you know, players like, I mean, Gabriel Jesus, perfect example yesterday, falling over, looking at the referee, getting frustrated, um, and you know, trying to get a little bit, trying to get something out of that. So I think we need more of the Granite Shaka type of personalities rather than the Jesus type, which is feeling sorry for ourselves, decisions not going our way. Um, and I think we become a victim of that when we allow 
um, decisions to dictate the game rather than our own abilities. So there's there's two there. There's obviously the self destruct button um, when you know we 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 play against teams and we don't give give it give it our all. And the second reason is low in self confidence. Um, and if there's you know if there's a third reason that I could put it down to, I think it has to be a, a, an overall mentality which is um not wanting to win enough and this is a harsh one to mention and this is a harsh criticism to give because they haven't had i don't think the right amount of exposure to want to win enough you know they haven't been put in these circumstances or these situations this season will have been unique to a lot of these players, to a lot of the coaching staff, to a lot of the executives, you know, a lot of the hierarchy in 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 at the club, they won't have been here to, you know, be in a title race. The last time we were in a title race was uh, was um, twenty sixteen, was it Leicester? Yeah, twenty sixteen, the Leicester year. Right. So a number of individuals wouldn't have been here. Richard Garlic, for one, wouldn't have been here. The 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 Cronkies wouldn't have had um you know full ownership. Um, other individuals at like Vinay wouldn't have been CEO at that time. So I think as a club, we are learning to want it more. And I think these moments are necessary in order to have that kind of hunger and the desperation to win. If this doesn't spur them on next season, I don't know what will. Um, and I guess that that worries me a lot to know that we're going into next season, City are going to continue to be City. Newcastle, I mean, God knows what Newcastle are going to do this summer. They're in the Champions League. They have the backing of, you know, the richest owners in the world. United are in, well, they've they've been in two cup finals. They might have two um, trophies back in the Champions League as well. Liverpool have a lot to do um, in the summer if they want to evolve as well and if they want to catch up. I don't want to mention Spurs because I think Spurs will always remain Spurs. Chelsea. You know, so so next going into next season is going to be completely different to this season because we won't have a World Cup. Number one, number two, there won't be this um, surprise element from Arsenal that no. you know we 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 we're not going to be able to reinvent ourselves to the level that we did this summer or last summer, I should say. Um, so you know, I'm I'm concerned, I'm worried that we're not going to be able to press this. Um, title charge the way that we have done this season but I'm optimistic to see what happens in the summer how ruthless are the club going to be with you know again uh, getting rid of those that are surplus to requirement and bringing in individuals I think I'm at, I'm at a place now where I'm happy for the club to spend 200 plus mil because it's necessary there yeah. is no other way yeah and I think as well the Going back to one of the points you made right at the start of the show, you said about emotional attachment to individuals because we had such a poor team for so long. Players like Bamiyang became the players we really clung to, really they carried the team and helped us win things. So when they went off the boil, it was like it was heartbreaking the way some of those things ended. Now I very much detached myself from, I guess, the emotional attachment because I feel more connected to the team as a whole. And I think going into this summer, if players go, I don't really care. So Granite Shack is one that 
I am really disappointed to see going. He's someone that I think we needed to upgrade on, but I thought he would have been a great presence to have around the club. However, after that, the, the names that are being mentioned, Smithrow, as I've said, we, we haven't seen him play for 18 months. And I wish Arsenal sold some of the players that were incredibly injury prone that we lived in that hope that they would come back. And we place so much optimism around their return and it never materialized. If Arteta sees Smithrow in that vein where he thinks, actually, we can bring in money for him this summer. He's not in my long-term plans anymore. I'm happy with him being sold. Um, same with Kieran Tierney and other players within the squad. And I think to build, get to the next stage and build and bring in quality players, I'm very much invested in this Declan Rice saga. I am a bit worried about how public it's becoming. Mm. But at the same time, I think they're the caliber of players that we're aiming for. And I would be surprised if we went for an experimental signing like Fabio Vieira this summer because Vieira was someone... He was still thirty-five million. He was more expensive than Tinchenko. Yeah. And if you think about it, he only cost ten million less than Jesus. So, I would imagine the if well, I think we absolutely need four players just with our current crop of players. This is not counting for a Tierney leaving or or other players. But we we definitely need a a right winger. We we can't go into next season and play. Saka with the same number of minutes that he's had and people also forget that he the number of minutes he played at the World Cup the qualifiers for England and so on so we we need a a player that can rotate with him the way City are rotating their players we need a replacement for Saka We, we need someone we need I think we need two midfielders and we also need a right sided centre back and that for me is just the bare minimum. And then if we decide to go for a striker, we could possibly sell in Kadia and Balogun. I, I don't know whether we'll sign a striker this year, but for me, it's bringing in a minimum of four quality players. And then there might be potentially a couple that come in cheaper that are more risk-based. And a bit like when we bought Nuno Tavares, it was a risk. Mm. He had some good games. He, didn't, he had some very bad games, but... But yeah, I think for the most part, we will be looking at a very high quality player this summer that does build them, build build the team, help take it to the next level. And mentality will be a huge part of that. And I, I think that's why the club really liked Declan Rice. And for for me, he would be the perfect signing for us in terms of he, he could be our Rodri. I don't think he's the same kind of metronome player that Rodri is. But he's got slightly different qualities. But the thing that he does have is just a great ability to replay and break it up. And he's also a very good technician. So that, to me, is key for this summer. And so, yeah, adding properly is just a must. We, we have to do it. And the, the, bringing in players with the right mentality just further adds to the squad and Anyone that Arteta doesn't see as having the right attitude or the right mentality, he'll get rid of them. And that's something that I've got a lot of faith in. So in terms of reinventing ourselves, I don't think we need to reinvent ourselves now. I think we just need to further increase the quality of the squad as a whole and get past having 
what, 13, 14 players that Arteta trusts and getting that closure to 20 players that he trusts. Mm. Let's not forget as well, there are a number of players out on loan who are going to be coming back in the summer. Um, players like Balogun, Tavaj, Nicola Pepe. <laughs> do you remember yeah, him? yeah, we don't want him back. Uh, do you know what I mean? Uh, so there, there, there's still a number of players to get off the books. I think uh, Mari is all but done. Uh, Monza, Monza have survived, haven't they? In yeah, so that was done a few weeks ago. Yeah, and, so and also uh, Balogun scored his twentieth goal in League One today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So be interesting to see what happens with him. Yeah, it's. I, I would like a look at him in preseason. I know Patino is another one that's gone, and although Arsenal are said to be inserting a buyback clause into any deal for him, but Sambi Lacunga. There was links to Burnley through the week. Uh, apparently, company's still a huge fan of his mm. and would like to work with him again. And if he's going to a manager that got a lot of joy out of working with him, we would maybe be able to get ten million for him. Oh. I think. I, I think Sorry, with Sammy Lukonga, my headphones have just disconnected themselves. Yeah, go on, carry on. Uh, with someone like Sammy Lukonga, I think if we get a. a an offer in to buy him outright. I think we should just take it. He's a player that I I do like him. I think technically he's got a lot of quality. However, he, I just don't see him being good enough to go to the next step. And I think that's, that's where the ruthlessness comes in. When we're talking about players this season compared to last summer. So last summer we were talking about Zinchenko and Jesus coming in to get us into the top four. Mm. Those signings have helped us do it. However, this summer, we're talking about players that can help us win the league yeah. and compete in the Champions League. And that's the difference. So when it comes to players like Lekonga, he hasn't been good enough this season. He hasn't played since Hodgson, Hodgson came in at Palace. Just be ruthless. Move him on. If he happens to be a superstar in the future, great. But... It, it is a case of the players we're looking at are the likes of Declan Rice, who's a very similar age to Lukonga and on a whole other level. And Moses Caicedo, who again is like two or three years younger than Sambi Lukonga mm. and on a whole other level. So it's being ruthless with these players if we don't see them being ready now to at least contribute to the squad. They don't have to be starters, but they have to be players that can contribute off the bench. Or if we need to rest someone, rotate, um, injuries, suspensions, whatever it is, they Arteta needs to be confident that they're good enough to come in and play our football and deliver on the pitch with without there being a noticeable drop-off. And so that's where I would say the, the emotional connection to players isn't there for me the way it was in the past and with some of the squad players that I do really like like Smith Rowe if Arteta doesn't see them playing a big part I don't see the point in hanging on to them if an offer comes in that's suitable that enables us to rebuild with the players that he wants because let's face it Arteta's always shown that if he doesn't like someone he's not going to play them he's not going to trust them and he isn't someone that will, I guess, put up with people or want them around if he doesn't see a future for them in his system. And no matter how much we like them or whether they've come through heel end or not, if they're not going to play, they're essentially useless. 
Mm. How do you feel about the new contracts that are being signed because um, on the surface of things it's great um, and I'm really happy that we're tying key individuals down to long contracts but something that continues to haunt me is what happened with Aubameyang when he signed such a lucrative deal um, and then it kind of fell off. Are we uh, are we at risk of the same thing happening with other individuals if we're led to believe that players like Bakayo Saka are going to be signing a contract worth, you know, was it 250 300 per week at 290 was what i read however the athletic reported a while back that it was going to be a 180 base so a huge amount of his contract is said to be made up in performance related bonuses mm. do, do, do you think um because I, I i remember back to when Marcus Rashford signed his first big deal um, and then it, it kind of went a little bit pear-shaped for a while. His form dropped off. Do you think that when young players sign such huge lucrative deals, um, it can have some you know, bad consequences on their performances or to see that amount of money is just too much of a distraction? Um you know, this is kind of like a new phenomenon in football, isn't it? With with the the, the the large number of young players being paid the amount that they are. Yeah, I think I, I think all, overall it's good. I, I was pleased to see Ram still being tied down. There's been talk about White getting a new deal, Odegaard. So keeping that core group of players together is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, with Saka and the money thing, I've always had really mixed views on this because I believe a lot of it's down to individuals and their characteristics and their own mentality. Yeah. So Aubameyang and Ozil got those contracts when they were both around 30 and they were both on the physical decline. And let's face it, neither of them... Well, Aubameyang was super for Arsenal up until that point. It's very difficult to fault him. But he was a larger-than-life character. I think he's someone that really needs to be happy. He needs to he feeds off the crowd's energy, all those things. And I think we didn't really have a choice but to give him that contract at the time. We it was twenty twenty. He signed the deal, so it was during like during COVID, behind closed doors football. The club didn't have the budget. And again, because we had let that run, he had a year left and we, we needed to sign him. So he got a huge contract. Ozil had six months to go. We That was catastrophic the way that deal was handled. The fact that him and Alexis had six months to run on the contracts. Yeah. And uh, so I think this, the circumstances are different. And Saka right now, he's 21. He's earning 70 grand a week and has done from he was about 18. So... Like the majority of us could never imagine what we would do with seventy thousand pound a week, and to get that at eighteen, so he's showing that he's already a very, very rich young man. So I think it, it comes down to mentality, and if you look at the Man City players, they all earn very good money. All the stars at Madrid, at Barca over the years, mm-hmm. um, even at Chelsea, and so on. Man United, whenever they were winning a lot. Their players were all very well paid, and a lot of them from a young age, the likes of Rooney and Rio Ferdinand and players like that. But they had the mentality that they wanted to keep winning, 
And from everything I hear about Saka and everything I read about him, he's got that mentality. And the Martinelli said to be exactly the same. Whereas you hear very mixed reports about someone like Smith Rowe. So, so yeah, I think I, I see the concern with should we be giving them this much money so young? But I think it's also a case of someone like Saka would get that elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. If he goes to club, he's, if you look at Holland, uh, who I know is on another level again, but he's getting half a million basic at City. Mm. probably with bonuses on top and got a huge signing on fee and everything. So uh, there are other clubs that will pay these players those wages. And if a player feels they're being underpaid as well, that's something that can negatively affect them too. So uh, one of the things I have wondered is, has the timing of these contracts affected people? Mm. So we've had... Martinelli's form had dipped just before he signed his deal and then he came flying back around the time it was all agreed and by the time the announcement was done he was in the best form of his, of his season and Saka's contract continues to rumble on even though we're told it's agreed uh, Ramsdale's again so I, I do think there's a lot going on off the pitch as well as on it this year and do you think there's anything in the timing of these deals alongside the collapse if some of these players are not only doing something on the pitch that they've never been in a situation before, but also being in a, a contractual situation that they've never been in before? I think it comes down to, I think it, it, it comes down to um, more so the lack of exposure to that environment rather than the contractual um, situations. Um, I think those players would have, and I, and I think they know in their heart of hearts that they would have been offered, um, you know, new deals at, in the summer just based on the the incredible achievement that they've managed to, <laughs> you know, achieve to, uh, to, uh, to run us up to City, but also... Um, the manner in which that they've been playing football all season um, and, you know, as a collective unit, as you mentioned, I think it's important to keep this core group of players together. So the concern for me isn't um, whether they've been distracted by the contract negotiations now. The concern for me is whether this is a distraction going forward um clearly every player's motivation and Ramsdale made this very you know blatantly clear in his interview after signing the contract that this was a massive moment for him because he'd been working so hard for it and he's going to be continuing to work hard for the next one and by that I think he's he's um uh talking about the 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 the, the next long-term deal that he 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 wants to sign at Arsenal. Um, but I think most, you know, if not all professional players want to sign lucrative deals because they know that a footballer's career is so limited in time. And so, you know, to, to, to solidify the future of their kids and their kids' kids, it's really important that they're able to get these opportunities. Um, I mean, on the surface of things, it doesn't seem like these contract talks have in any way been a detriment to the football 
in as much as um, what City have done to us at the Etihad and what we have done to ourselves um, based on the events that have happened throughout the course of the season. So, you know, your Liverpools, your West Ham's, the game at the Etihad. I think those were far, you know, bigger moments and, and, and ha- have, have, ha- have held um, bigger consequences rather than, you know, your contract talks. I think individuals like Saka are intelligent enough to keep those contract negotiations in the back of their minds when they're on the football pitch for 90 minutes. Um, yeah. yeah I, I, and I guess agents as well take care of exactly. probably 95% of it. And you do wonder how, at what point does a player even get told how advanced negotiations are? Or is it a case that they have a, a chat with their agent, they get a number in mind, tell them what they want and the agent goes away and when they get close to a deal, then they report back to the player. Mm. So, so yeah, it, it's so hard to know this stuff because we are just so detached from that side of the game. We hear numbers and it, it is just, it's, I guess it's that black box that goes on in football. We don't know what happens inside it. And even contracts themselves, it'll be like this player earns this much. You've no idea about the makeup of that deal. And sometimes they would have to score every week to actually earn that figure. So, so yeah, I, I do agree that it's about going forward and seeing how it affects them mm. once they've actually signed it. Okay. Um, finally, just before we end um, on a bit of a, I guess, happy bit of news. I don't know whether you want to call it positive news or I guess, depending on what kind of taste you have. Um, Images of the new Arsenal home kit has have been leaked. I mean, they've been released in countries like India and Indonesia. I think the players will play in it next week, right? We against Wolves. Yeah, I think is that has that been confirmed? I'm not sure. I've I haven't seen that. So, so yeah, I'm going to take your word for it. We did play in the current kits. Last season, last year, yeah, yeah. yeah. What would you make of the the new home kit? Yay, nay. It's yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's I, I, I'll I'll buy it because I'm a big kid. That it's, (laughs) but yeah, I'll. It's one of those. It it looks okay. It's not. I really like the current one. Yes, and uh, so yeah. What do you think of the away one, though? That's the big question. Oh, I mean, it's one of the... I think it will grow on me the more I see it. And I think when they play in it, when 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 you see the contrast between our kit versus the opposition's kit, we'll definitely stand out more. Um, it, it reminds me of the old neon kit that we had I remember Mesut Ozil scoring that incredible goal in the Champions League where he lobs the the ball over the top of the keeper and then walks it in. What is is that Puma kit? Um it had like a lime it was it was a it was a charcoal base with a lime secondary color to it. Let me see if I can find this. Lime Arsenal kit. Um no, that's not the one. That's showing me the one from last season. 
Oh, here we are. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> this is the one. It was the Puma kit from 2016-17. Um, lime green Fly Emirates badge and the Puma badge. And then the the main color is the navy blue. I think Ozil scored that brilliant goal. Oh, yeah, yeah. The one against Ludogorets. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it so. gives me kind of that kind of vibe, sort of-ish, but just a yeah. little bit more extreme. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's one of those, if we win something, where and it suddenly it becomes iconic. Isn't it such a shame that we were unable to lift any silverware in the current, with the current kits that we, 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 we were given this season? Yeah, they were... I think we've been iconic this season. Yeah. So by I bought all three. Yeah. And, uh, it's just the it's been the first year where I've loved all the kits that we've put out. And mm. it's gonna be interesting to see what I think when I see the the away one, what it actually looks like in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Because right now it's like, oh, I'm not sure about that, but also like it's it looks that bad that I kind of like it. Yeah. So, so yeah, and then there's the third kit that's been floating around as well. That's yeah. like a, a dark green kit, and that yeah. looks pretty nice. It does. It does. Yeah. So, it's very yeah. I don't know. Very mute. But I think it's based on the '84 kit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Mm. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, look. Um, We've still got one more game to play before the season ends. Unfortunately, um, you know, another dead game, but an opportunity for a number number of these players to, you know, maybe prove Arteta wrong or play for a move away. So three points is a must. Um, I am, however, going to leave it there because I think we've we've given ourselves the right amount of therapy needed. I do feel a lot better than when we started. Would you say? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, I always do whenever we talk it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, but but yeah, I think you're right. Next week, it's about going out and getting a win, getting the whole crowd behind the players, and just enjoying the game. Hopefully, with it being the last game of the season, it gives everyone a lift. Mm. The Emirates should be loud, and I think the the disappointment from everything that's happened over the last six weeks will die down and people will be fully behind the players. And it does give people a chance to your last memory of the season. You want it to be positive. So, so as I said earlier, we can't finish the season on three defeats. So let's go out, get three points. And what would be absolutely brilliant as well would be a clean sheet. I can't take any more goals conceded. (laughs) And with that little bit of optimism, we will end it there. I want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's listened up until this point. Thank you very, very much. If you did enjoy this episode, please do give us a five-star review on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Um, Do reach out to us to let us know what you thought as well of this episode. You can find us over at Twitter at Arsenal Therapy. You can find Adam over there at AdamKeys underscore and you can find myself over there at GunnerSinson. 96. We are also on TikTok as well and Instagram. Um, we've been doing some really good work over on TikTok uh, with some good little compilations, clips from the podcast being uploaded on a, on a daily basis with some really cool um, animated visual elements. 
bits and bobs. So you can find us over there. What what is our handle on TikTok? I can't quite remember. I don't know whether it's Ask Therapy Pod or. So on, I'm, I'm I just checked Instagram. Um, I'll bring up TikTok now. So on Instagram, it's Arsenal Therapy Pod, and on TikTok, it is loading, and it is. I think it's Ask Therapy Pod. Which will be changed soon. Yes, it is our therapy pods. So yeah, make sure to drop us a follow. Definitely, yeah, we will be changing those handles. I think on TikTok, yeah, you, you have to. It's it's once every thirty days or something like that. So obviously, you know, it hasn't been. Well, it's almost been thirty days since we've been on TikTok, and um, yeah, a lot of you guys are enjoying the content on there. Uh, so yeah do give us a follow over there but we'll be back as always for the next episode which is next week against Wolves at home where we bid farewell to this season and welcome the summer transfer sagas um, until then have yourselves a very good week and we'll speak to you then thank you very much bye bye <laughs>